This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 535 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. It's Dr. Wally Hatton, Clark vs. the Klan, The Reign of the Subpar Men, Discarded CIE Stories, an asterisk is added to the Hall of Justice, Dial Heroes for Hope, Back to Gem World, and Dan DiDio. Why? This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, March 1st, 2020. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfpbn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Flash forward number six of six by Labdell, Booth, Ratman, and Guerrero. The final issue of this miniseries was essentially spoiled by the solicitation of its follow-up, Generation Zero, set for free comic book day. Wally does, in fact, make the ultimate sacrifice in order to save the universe. After some exposition from Tempest Fuginot, in case we haven't been paying attention until now, Wally destroys the dark world he created as he accepts the Mobius chair. He does, however, get Tempest to agree to drop off Jay and Iris back with their mom first. Now Wally is one with the chair, all intellect and no emotions. Unlike its previous inhabitants, he decides to be proactive, no longer just an observer. Oh, and he has a Dr. Manhattan symbol on his cowl. The question, how did he get it? Did Fuginot give it to him, which would make Fuginot the most powerful person in the DCU, right? Did Wally somehow get it off panel from the new Clark at the end of Doomsday Clock? Did Wally somehow take it again off panel? Does it come with the Mobius chair somehow and just no one has ever used it before? They're just observed before. I guess we'll find out in Generation Zero, assuming that is actually published. We'll talk about that in a minute. Superman smashes the clan number three of three from DC Inc. or Zoom, if that still existed, by Yang and Guri Hiru. I usually don't pick up DC's youth titles, but this manga retelling of a classic Superman radio show fascinated me. The original story was the producer's way of humiliating the Ku Klux Klan at a time where they were starting to gain power. Of course, they were called the Klan of the Fiery Cross, but it's obvious what they meant. Superman does indeed smash them, turning them into laughingstocks and greatly hurting their actual reputation. It would take decades until they resurfaced. The updated tale adds two elements, a Chinese girl and her family caught in the middle of the action and the racism, and Superman learning more about his own heritage and revealing it to the world. This psychologically unlocked powers like flying, no more leaping an eighth of a mile, and freeze breath. The various subplots are well-balanced and tied into great action sequences. Each issue of the Squarebound Digest format includes an engrossing written postscript from the author tying the historic events to his own experiences as a Chinese-American. I would definitely recommend this to any kid who's reading manga already. 
Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 8 of 12 by Fraction, Lieber, and Fairbairn. Strap in for more Silver Age-style wackiness along with meta-commentary. We begin with Julian Olsen having breakfast, only to see on the front page of the Daily Planet, Reign of the Subpar Men, with pics parrying the follow-up to the death of Superman. There's a cyborg Jimmy that stops a robbery, then reminds the victim, who is clearly based on Frank Nelson, the yes man of radio and classic TV. Don't forget to like and fave. There's a pal of steel, which is just a statue pushed around by members of the Jimmy Olsen fan club. There's a totally radical Jimmy rollerblading and throwing CDs around. And there's Jimmy Cheekbones, a taller supermodel version with great cheekbones and sunglasses. Cut to the aforementioned fan club being torn down by eminent domain by Julius. Inside, the Porcadillo, a.k.a. the pointy problem child of crime, is apprehended by Detective Corrigan, not the vengeful spirit one. Cut to Jaime Olsen, a Spanish-speaking Jimmy, clearly the actual Jimmy trying to hide out, who interviews people in Calvin City, all of whom try to paint the boring town as being exciting. Hey, the Golden Age Adam came from here. Later, in Jimmy's hotel room, with Janie, his playwright sister, Dix's spaceship crashes in with Dr. Mantell as her passenger, and her dad, by the way. She accosts Jimmy, asking if he remembers his last time in Gorilla City, where they got married. Turns out Jimmy goes there a lot and starts going on about when he turned into King Kong-sized Jimmy and attacked the city. There's a great panel with CNN, well, Gorilla CNN, with the reporter just saying ook a lot. Finally, Jimmy remembers that he was supposed to have the marriage annulled, just as Dix's current alien suitor attacks. Wife! Space wife! They all escape in her spaceship, Natch. Fraction has four more issues to turn this into a coherent story. Crisis on Infinite Earths, 100-page giant number two by Wolfman, Guggenheim, Derek, Scott, Owens, Grummet, Mickey, Perez, Ordway, and Collins. This special was originally sold via Walmart and, of course, tied into the recent CWDC event. There are five stories, but only two are new, with the others from Crisis on Infinite Earths 8, Death of the Flash, Crisis on Infinite Earth 11, The Merger of the Worlds, DCU Legacies from 2010, A Cop's Eye View of the Crisis. The new stories finish up from the previous issue. One thing that I noticed about this that was really interesting, Mark, was the old stories and the new stories. You could tell them apart just looking at the book because the Old stories had the white borders around them, and the new stories, the actual comic, went all the way to the edge. Yeah. It was really interesting. Current comics go all the way to the edge of the, of the page today. The first story stars Felicity, who is barely on screen on the TV show. The actress only had a day or two to give to the producers. Here, she is desperately trying to bring Oliver back, hacking into the monitor's computers. Finding that the Book of Oa has the names of the Paragons leads to a visit to see the events of the CIE comic, a great swipe at CIE splash panel with many heroes fighting the anti-monitor. Begging Phantom Stranger to send them, Felicity, the Ray, and Talia, to Oa, then arguing with the Guardians to see the book. They tell her it would melt her brain, but she doesn't care. Ganthet arrives and helps them get to the book while the Green Lantern Corps fights off parademons. She sees the full continuity on the book, then almost saves Oliver before Ganthet pulls her out. She now has info on the Paragon, gives it to the Monitor, who then provides it to the others on TV, then returns home to be with baby Mia, who she just saw on the Wave Rider as an adult. The second story takes us back to the Council of Luthor's and the League of Supermen, 
with the former holding CW Lex in a force field and the latter attacking the former. CW Soups saves CW Lex, who then blows up a machine powering Lex suits as they are kicking the Superman's asses. Both stories could fit into the CW continuity, but neither could have been produced on a TV budget. Were they written especially for the comic, or were they storylines abandoned in early drafts? Interesting. We will never know. Wonder Twins, number 12 of 12 from Wonder Comics by Russell and Byrne. Zan and Jaina have put up the maths at their apartment until they figure out how to keep them out of the laws and the league's hands. The twins are very depressed about how things have turned out. Every move they make seems to make the world worse, not better. The League has learned about some of what they've done, assisting a fugitive, stealing a spacecraft, well, one of Luthor's, and wants an explanation. Jaina replies that before they had the expensive building and matching stationery, wasn't there a time when you did something just because it was the right thing to do? When she mentions that in doing so, they saved the world, which they did, and when Superman says, that's not your job, the reply, no, that's yours. Meanwhile, cell phone Sylvia meets with Lex. She wants her phone back, and he tells her to steal it from the twins with some help. The supervisor, who has excellent management skills as a superpower, and the ringmaster, a circus-themed villain. They attack the twins, who are trapped in ringmaster's rings. Yeah, his theme is all over the place. Gleek attacks the ringmaster, giving the scrambler, now in the supervisor's body, time to free them. Jane, in the form of a pug, sends the bad guys off via the cell phone. The scrambler managed to kill the power at the prison-slash-call center using a faulty air freshener he was forced to sell, giving him time to make the switch. Meanwhile, the League finds the maths. Batman says, How did the world's greatest detective figure out that your best friend was hiding in your apartment? Is that your question? Superman reveals a new plan to handle issues where their powers are useless. Asterisk. Assessing strategic threats requiring innovative skills and knowledge, which will be run by the twins and the maths. One year later, at the new Asterisk building, Jaina asks Zan if he resents needing her to use his powers, and he replies that it means he will never be alone. While it hasn't been formally announced, the front cover says, See you next series. Perhaps they will wait a year and then follow our at heroes at Asterisk. Dial H for hero number 12 of 12 from Wonder Comics by Humphreys, Quinones, and Gibson. The final issue of this miniseries begins with our heroes in the K-hole, a dark nothingness, while Mr. Thunderbolt is about to use the M-dial to give everyone past, present, and future superpowers. Miguel is filled with guilt for providing Thunderbolt the tools, a.k.a. the dials, to do this and for dragging Summer into all of this. She replies that, sure, he screwed up, but she considers him to be the first family she's ever had. She remembers how her dad's hope was a light in the darkness, and they use that light to escape the K-hole. This turns them into ever-changing heroes, with Summer exiting as a merged olive oil Popeye and Miguel as century-old character Ignat's mouse. He then turns into Robin in order to get Thunder Montez on their side. Summer turns into the Golden Age Wonder Woman foe Giganta and steals the sea dial then turns into Mary Jane Watson, Spider-Man Squeeze, to throttle Thunderbolt with him. She turns him back into Robbie Reed, while Miguel has become Potter Parker, then a character from ElfQuest, all to convince Thunder Montez that they must merge again out of love. Summer has now turned into a Carl Banks character, while Thunderbolt Robbie grasps the H-dial, becoming Thunderdoom, essentially Doomsday, but now his fingers are too big to operate the dial.
The Montezes merge, and Summer intermingles the dials and their handsets, dialing out CMYK, leaving Thunderbolt stuck in a classic Dial H comic book with Grams thinking he's just some Yahoo. Cut to a girl named Linda, not sure of the reference, reading the book and being called to dinner. Now, Summer and Miguel are stranded alone in the Overvoid. They realize the only way to escape is to use the M dial to call H-O-P-E. Cut to what is clearly Superman the movie, with Jor-El and Lara putting the baby in the rocket before they travel into the multiverse itself, with floating panels showing sources of hope, both from the comics and from real life. They grasp for a new chromium dial, which puts them back into the hero-verse, and they find the operator, who realizes that hiding the dials was a mistake. He will keep them safe until duty calls, which an editor's box points to Young Justice, where Summer and Miguel just arrived. We end back Metropolis. Miguel has the courage to ask the boy out. Summer is thrilled to see normal life, and they both return to their intern jobs at the Daily Planet. Phew! I don't think I've ever used Wikipedia as much as I did while reading this comic. The number of obscure references was off the charts. As always, the title shifts in its art style as the heroes change. Just an incredibly fun series. I noticed that we had two Wonder Comics that ended in this time period. I have to say, I'm really liking the whole idea of a 12-issue miniseries and then with it starting up again, because you don't have to worry so much about keeping things in continuity. And I really hope they continue it. And I hope we see a lot more from Wonder Comics, like we are in Amethyst Number 1 from Wonder Comics, by Reader. Amy Reader, Madame Xanadu, Batman, Rocket Girl, Moon Girl, and Devil Dinosaur, is given the full reins on DC's classical, mystical teen princess. Amethyst has two families, the adopted one on Earth, who don't really get how her powers work, and her real one on Gemworld. She returned there on her birthday for a celebration, only to find her kingdom abandoned and empty. She does find her flying horse and hightails it to the neighboring Turquoise realm. Each kingdom is based on a gemstone. They used to be close allies, but Lady Turquoise blows her off, first not knowing anything about it, then telling her that they are tired of literally fighting her battles. Their citizens feel the same way. A warrior riding a giant caterpillar joins her on her quest to find out what has happened. Of course, Lord Opal is behind all of it. I can't say this is Mark's cup of tea. It seems more like a title for tween girls. But as with all Wonder Comics, I am willing to give it a try. Okay. Now, we did want to talk about a bombshell announcement from DC last week. At the Comics Pro event, a meeting of publishers and retailers, it dropped that Dan DiDio was fired. Fired! This came as a shock to everyone, considering that Dan held business meetings that morning and was supposed to speak at the event that day. There was an outpouring of support online from the creative community, partially due, I suspect, to, by people wanting to butter up Dan in order to get into whatever he does next. So what actually happened and what happens next? Reports so far have talked about a poor work environment under DiDio's reign. Translation, there was an exodus of editors in the last few months. He was also accused of micromanaging things to a relentless degree. At the same time, there are rumors that he wasn't as involved in the whole 5G slash Generation 5 event as he should be, although that seems like conflicting stories. 
Also, he might have had it out with Scott Snyder, who reportedly wants his death metal event to steer far away from 5G. Speaking of that, perhaps AT&T Warner Brothers is getting cold feet about 5G. As a reminder, all signs point to the idea that 5G will replace all the major players with new ones donning the capes and cowls. Clark is replaced by John. Bruce is replaced by Luke Fox, etc. It may be a bit late to stop that train without canceling their free comic book day book, but maybe they want to do it in stages rather than all at once. At least publicly, it's full speed ahead on 5G. Then there's the Metal Men series that DiDio has been writing. Word is that will now conclude at issue number 12, and number 5 just came out. There's no question that DiDio has a passion for comics, but he is also a salesman at heart, which led to crisis-itis during his reign. He was there leading the charge into Identity Crisis, to Infinite Crisis, to 52, to Final Crisis, to Blackest Night, to Flashpoint, to Convergence, to Dark Knight's Metal, to Year of the Villain, to Doomsday Clock. The new 52 was designed to jumpstart sales, but that's all it did, when maybe the battery needed a replacement instead. The result was a big temporary bump, followed by a steep drop, which led to rebirth and undoing the new 52. His desire to tell the big story to DC's readers also seemed to lead to many delayed titles and missed deadlines. Will the deal just retire? Does seem unlikely. Would Marvel or another publisher snap him up? Will he start his own company, as we've seen others do? Meanwhile, what happens to DC as a whole? As of now, Jim Lee is sole publisher. Now, he's always been the silent partner, content to attend cons and draw variant covers. It doesn't seem like he wants the main job, but at C2E2 this weekend, he says he has a plan, they're moving forward, he's going to rely on all the experience of the various creatives at DC, and as far as he's concerned, DC will be around for another 85 years, and he'll be at C2E2 85 years from now to give a talk. Now, if that doesn't happen, who then takes over? Jeff Johns? Some underling from the AT&T Colossus who knows zero about comics? There's also unsubstantiated rumors that Marvel will buy DC outright, which makes zero, zero sense. AT&T would want to keep all the licensing rights, so the new DC would need to license them back. Plus, AT&T would lose an in-house source of new content for movies, TV, theme parks, etc., in exchange for what is essentially a rounding error in terms of profits. Or DC will be shuttered, again, losing a source of new content in-house. We'll just have to buckle up and see how much of a real impact Dan DiDio had at DC Comics. Something just occurred to me, Mark. Yeah. If, in, in fact, they quit publishing floppies but kept the um, DC licensing rights and stuff and just put out maybe original graphic novels and then used it for other media you know, like movies and TV. and Would they lose the Wonder Woman rights since they have to keep publishing a book to do that? That's a major question out there. Because for those who don't know, DC doesn't actually own Wonder Woman. <laughs> DC licenses Wonder Woman from the Marston estate. And part of the agreement is they will continuously put out a Wonder Woman comic. There was a point in the mid-80s when there was a delay before they did the the George Perez reboot, and they almost lost the character. They were forced to put in this weird miniseries that came out uh, just to basically say, okay, we're still putting out a Wonder Woman comic. Don't, don't take the character. But 
that's one of the many questions that I think makes it virtually impossible for DC to walk away or from Warner Brothers to walk away from DC Comics as being an actual physical publisher. Hmm. It will be interesting to see how this falls out. All right, before we get out of here, it's time to play America's fastest growing new game show. Guess who's on the cover of Entertainment Weekly? Oh, wait a minute. We had to make some changes in light of Entertainment Weekly becoming Entertainment Monthly. So let's bring out the big newsstand. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Let's get a magazine that hasn't already been shut down and stop. It looks like we're doing TV Guide this week, Mark. Okay. That automatically knocks out your first few questions, <laughs> I guess. It certainly does. All right, we're going to start the timer. One person on the cover? No. Uh, two? Yes. Uh, a man and woman? Yes. Uh, are they both on a TV show? Yes. Uh, are, is the TV show on broadcast TV? No. Is it on cable? Yes. Is it on pay cable? Um, yes. Okay. Is it HBO? No. Is it Showtime? No. Cinemax? No. Stars? Yes. Stars. Is it genre-related? Um, yes. Is it time travel related? Yes. Is it Outlander? Yes. Thank goodness, because, because that's one of the few star shows I know. Well, that's probably one of the few star shows anybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> I won't make you try to guess the actual people. Thank though. goodness. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.